0: Hello and welcome to the Uncredible Adventures podcast. With me, your host Cornelius. I'm really pleased to have you here with me. Please make yourself comfy and let's go on an incredible adventure. So, when I was about twelve or thirteen, occasionally my dad had to work overtime on a weekend, and I used to go into his office. And I used to go with him primarily because it had internet. It was a pretty rare thing back then, but he'd set me up on a computer and I could surf the internet as it was back then. There was only a handful of pages you could go to and a few chat rooms that you could talk in. But that was more than enough to keep me entertained. And when I ran out of time doing that, I would go into the stationery cupboard, help myself to pens and paper clips and all sorts of exciting things. And the tea room as well. I remember I used to make myself mint tea, although I hated it. It was such a novelty to be able to help myself to unlimited amount of mint tea. And one of the things I picked up one day when I was in there was a catalog from from a business to business stationary supplies company and I took it home with me because it had right across half of the front page it, it was clearly aimed at professional buyers or, or procurement departments but it had a huge advert saying free gift when you open an account no purchase necessary And I forget what the free gift was, but it was something that I absolutely coveted as a 13-year-old. Maybe a USB hub or a memory stick or something like that. So I made the endeavour during one of the school holidays to ring the company and open an account to get my hands on this free gift. And I got put through to an account manager who was very, very keen on helping. Yes, certainly, sir. Certainly we can set you up with a new account. Absolutely. Can I just take some details of you and your business? and I was a little bit taken aback because I hadn't actually planned this far ahead but the uh, the question started slowly enough that I was able to to wing it so he said first of all can I take your name said, yep hi I'm Cornelius I'm credible great thank you can I take the name of the business And I had to sweat for a second before coming up with ingenious I came up with uh, oh Cornelius company that's Cornelius company yep that's right well, he took it. That was fine. Can I take the address? So I quite happily gave him uh, the address of my mum's house. Contact telephone number. Yep. Email address. Oh, no, we don't have email. Okay. And this was early enough that I got away with that. That was fine. We answered a few other basic contact questions. And then he started to ask, okay, if I can just get a bit of information about your business. So what, what industry are you in? That meant absolutely nothing to me. My mind went completely blank. And I had to say, "What? What do you mean?" And he said, "Well, what does your business do?" And I looked around uh, frantically. What do businesses do? When I was thirteen years old, I could, you know, what businesses could I think of? Like the fire station—they put out fires. Tesco's—well, that sells groceries. What business could I have? What does my dad do, for that matter? Vaguely aware that he was a consultant, but didn't know what that meant. Brainwave. I said, computers, we're in computers. Ah, okay, you're an IT company. Yes, that's right. Ah, okay, fantastic. And then he said, how many people does your business employ? I could feel my free USB hub slipping away from me here. This was, uh, you know, he was really turning the screws on me, but I was determined to get my free gift. So I pulled a number that sounded reasonable to me out of my head. And I said, 500. (laughs) And he said, you, your company employs 500 people. And I said, yes, that's right. And he said, wow, OK, I'm going to hand you over to our corporate accounts department. Where you'll have a, a dedicated account manager. Can you just hold the line, please? So I went on hold, getting ready to get put through to this corporate account manager who came on really quickly. Hello, Mr. Incredible. Hello, thank you. Yes, I've come to to pick up your account. I understand you're you're interested in working with us. Yes, that's great. Fantastic. I've got some of the details here of your company from my colleague, but do you mind if we carry on with the onboarding process? And I said, "No, no, go ahead. That's fine." But the uh, the advert did say there's a free gift when I sign up and that I didn't have to make a purchase. And he kind of paused for a second and said, "Yep, yeah, yeah, we can sort that, of course we will, of course, of course. I just need to finish filling out this form and we, we're more than happy to send you some free gifts. Fantastic. What's your position in the company, sir? And I said, I'm the boss. And he said, the boss, is is that your job title? I said, well, I, I don't really have a job title because, because it's my company. I said, okay, fine, no worries, sir and we went through a few more questions which i think i probably gave almost unintelligible answers to but he was incredibly polite cuz he was sure he had a whale on the line here you know closing an account with 500 people employed that's a, we're talking about a FTSE 100 company we're talking about a huge global entity you know 500 people so we got through and he said do you have a do you have a product catalog and i said oh no i don't i've just um got this little leaflet that I picked up. She so said, okay, well, I'll tell you what we'll do. So you're all set up. You know, is there anything you need now? Is there any orders you want to put in? And I said, no, I just want to, if you can just send me the free gift. And he said, okay, I'll tell you what, I'll send you out some product catalogues for our stationery lines and our office furniture lines and something else. And and then we'll, we'll pick up. I'll, I'll send them out to you today and then maybe we'll pick up next week. Is there a good time we can put an appointment in the diary? So I agreed to an appointment and I received my... Catalogs. I also received my free USB drive or whatever it was that he sent me. All very, very good. I spent approximately the next three years taking really awkward phone calls from various people at this company who were absolutely convinced that I was a huge lead, and lead, an absolute whale, the guy that was going to be their big deal for the year, marked as you know VVIP. Head of the company, definitely the economic buying influence of an IT-based organisation with over 500 employees, they desperately wanted to get me on their books. And I had to avoid, as a 13-year-old boy, I had to avoid, quite often they'd invite me, you know, Where, whereabouts are you based? Oh, I'll tell you what, I'm in your town in, in, in the next few weeks, why don't we meet up? I'll take you for lunch, we can, you can show me around the office and we'll get some lunch. I lived in fear of someone coming and knocking on the door and they never did. But over time, this this attention and this praise and this politeness and the fact that all I'd done is told one little lie, and I had these people falling over themselves to offer me credit and to try and win my business, really went to my head, and I started to walk with a bit of a swagger, and I started to believe that I really was this important. that's something that carried me through right through my life. And I almost started to enjoy the game I started to enjoy getting these phone calls. Um, luckily while I was at school no one else was at home so they never, no one ever answered the phone and, and let them know that I was at school or something they just, just missed the call and they used to ring in the evenings and I used to have little conversations with these people where I'd uh, pretend I was interested and then make an excuse it made me feel quite good for a bit of a time and there's a reason that I'm telling this story now and I, I want to tell another story as a fable you're probably aware of it you've probably heard of it it's one of Aesop's fables it's called The Donkey and the Idol it's quite a simple story as they all are and it goes something like this that a workman has created a beautiful golden idol to be put on display in a temple and he sends for a donkey to carry this idol up the hill to the temple at the top of the hill and he straps this idol onto the donkey's back and off they set And as they walk through the town, people start to notice this tired, dusty old donkey walking along carrying a beautiful golden idol on his back. And before long, a crowd starts to form. People stop and they're pointing. Some people are even bowing down and praying to this idol. More and more people come to admire this beautiful, beautiful idol on the donkey's back. And the donkey notices this. He starts to notice that everywhere he goes, heads are turning, and people are smiling, some people are bowing down, people are praising him, and he gets to one point where there 's a particularly large crowd that are all gathering round to look at this wonderful idol they 're looking at him with such adoration they 're so impressed by what he 's doing that donkey decides to stop there he doesn 't need to go any further he 's made it he 's so important now, and finally, for the first time, everyone is noticing what a wonderful and special and saintly donkey he is and they're all coming to pay their respects and he's not going to walk another step so the donkey stops and he stands and he bows in the glory of this crowd of the adoration of everyone looking at him and the donkey's owner there's nothing he can do to shove him he tries to pull the reins he tries to whip the donkey he pushes, he pulls, he shoves, he pleads he tries to tempt the donkey with a carrot nothing can make this donkey move so eventually the donkey owner goes back gets another donkey, walks it up to the hill, takes the idol off the donkey's back, puts it on to the other donkey and off they go and leaves this donkey standing there where he is in the middle of the town. Very quickly, as soon as the idol's gone, the crowd starts to drift away. People start to disappear. They're no longer interested. No one's got a single piece of interest for this dusty old donkey now that he doesn't have the idol on their back. And the donkey doesn't know what's changed. He's got no idea why all these people that loved him and were praising him and worshipping him only a few minutes earlier are now not interesting. And it gets worse because the only people that are left by this point are a few of the naughty kids and they start to make fun of the donkey and one of them throws a stone at him and they're daring daring each other to walk up and smack the donkey on his rump. And that poor donkey faces the most misery And the biggest rejection and the pain and the disappointment he's ever experienced in his life. For a few minutes, he knew what it was like to be a donkey and everything had changed. And now the feeling of going back to where he was is almost unbearable. And... It's a wonderful story. I love that fable. And as all of them, they're very, very simple, but you can draw so many conclusions and you can hold it up to so many different situations to show what it illustrates. I've heard that one in particular being held up to the idea of the perfect selves that we put onto social media. So you, you pick one photo out of a hundred where you look absolutely perfect and then you run a filter to smooth out your face and whiten your teeth and make yourself look more beautiful and you put these pictures up and then you get people stopping and liking and sharing and giving you thumbs up and commenting but the whole time you've got people effectively commenting not on you on how you actually are what you're doing but on this idealized version of yourself or this idealized version of your life that you're sharing on Facebook or on Instagram or wherever you share it and it becomes really, really addictive. People chase after that high of having people like them, right to the point that you can you can it can do very, very bad things for your self-esteem. Because like this poor donkey, the people are not stopping to praise you as you are. They're stopping and they're liking this idealised version, these pictures you put up where you have perfectly white teeth and all your children are well-behaved and wearing matching clothes. And it becomes very, very difficult at the extreme end. It becomes very difficult in real life when you don't look like that and you're walking around and you don't get the same reaction and the same people that would give you hearts or or love what you're posting wouldn't even recognise you in real life. I definitely know a little bit of that. I've had the same profile picture, I think, for the last six or seven years and had some people talking about a school reunion recently which has seemed particularly risky I didn't want to go to a school reunion where everyone's expecting me to look like my profile picture but where I really want to focus the idol and just indulge me for a few moments here is that the idol for me is this podcast and it turns out this podcast is not bad there are people that listen to this, like you, hopefully, and they get it. They want to hear more. They understand what I'm trying to do. They find it entertaining. They subscribe. They send me nice messages. And I've realized I'm not someone who would do well with fame. I would not be a good famous person exactly like the 13-year-old me that is enjoying getting phone calls from a business who thought that I was some super high-flying executive responsible for 500 paychecks. I almost let the limited success that this podcast has had so far go to my head. And I started to believe that that made me a better person and finally I was achieving something. And the bit that was really harmful for me in that was the downslide so last week, middle of the week, we charted at number 22 in the iTunes UK top stand up comedy podcast chart. That is absolutely incredible. And I, for a few moments when I saw that, I suddenly thought, This is all happening, this is it, this is the big time, and it was a wonderful feeling. I felt brilliant I almost forgot entirely about the podcast I it wasn't about the podcast it wasn't about people enjoying it it was about wow I've got something I can show other people I have got something I can hold up to say look what I've achieved look what I am but almost as quickly we, we peaked there and I don't really know why I don't know what happened on that day but very very quickly we started to fall back we're back over 100 115 or something and there's not that many on there, if we're honest, so it's not bad. I'm still happy to be at 115, but we started to drop away. And where I'd got carried away and and allowed this podcast being successful to boost my self worth and start to uh, really dream big and think, oh, this is it, here we go. I suddenly felt the opposite. It felt absolutely brutal on the other side to watch then the podcast slipping down the rankings, and in the space of a few days. I flipped entirely from having a, a self-worth that was through the roof based on the success of the podcast to suddenly feeling like a disaster. And starting to, rather than being grateful that people were still listening and we're reaching new people every day and we've got subscribers and I get nice comments about people, I, was, I, was, I wanted a taste of the good stuff. I was getting angry. I was getting concerned. I was listening through my episode thinking, what did I do? What, what, what did people like and what's turned them off? And I started really overthinking it. And that's not healthy for me, So this is the, the last time for a while that you're going to hear me talk about how the podcast is doing because I didn't start this podcast to make it to number one in the charts. I certainly didn't start this podcast to try and get famous. I'm doing this anonymously. I started this podcast because I've got a career that I'm doing pretty well in, but I don't feel like I have a real creative outlet and I feel like I have something I want to say. I really enjoy listening to podcasts. I enjoy how they make me feel. I enjoy the company. I enjoy enjoy feeling part of a community when I listen to a podcast. And I wanted to get my voice out there. I wanted to do this podcast for creative reasons. I wanted to share with people who are interested something that podcasts I listen to do for me. And when I spent the majority of the week last week thinking of ideas for how to get listens or how to go viral or how to get more people looking at it or how how can I do this. Instead of thinking about ideas for the show, instead of thinking about what I'm going to talk about, what I'm going to put in the show, well that's completely wrong. And so easier said than done, but I'm nipping it in the bud. I hope we have success. I love that people are following. I love that people are sharing it. I love that I'm starting to get comments and critique and and friendly feedback. Through some of the social media channels. But most importantly, I'm not going to forget what I love is that I get to sit here right now. This is my own time. I get to talk into a microphone about the things that are important for me. I get to make the show that I think is entertaining, is funny, is amusing, and is a good representation of what's going on. And I get to share it with some people. And I've said before, if I share it with one person and they enjoy it, then that's a result. Any more is just a bonus. And the second point of that, it, it's a lot of work to get this podcast out next week. I hope it sounds like I've put a bit of work in because it's not as simple as just sitting down and talking into an open mic for an hour and hitting and publish. I I do plan it. I think about what I'm saying. I write. spend the entire week trying to piece things together and work out a logical arc for the different stories I want to tell. I have to edit this show, all the rest of it. And I, I work a full-time job. I don't have... Massive amount of time, and I'd rather spend the time that I do have putting it into the content, putting it into the recording, putting it into making a better show, than spending, wasting time on promotion. Um, desperately trying to promote it, put my name out there, doing if that's a full-time job. I'm aware that the donkey and the idol anecdote doesn't fit perfectly, but it's good enough, I think. I hope you get what I'm going for. So on with the show, that was a pretty self-indulgent way for me to tell you that I'm not going to be self-indulgent anymore. I worked something out, by the way, in case you're any way interested in what goes on behind the scenes and how I record this show. So I've got a piece of software that I use for editing this podcast. And one of the one of the tools it has on it is that it can look through the audio that I've recorded and it can look for big gaps. So sometimes I will forget what I'm saying or there's a, just a gap or I'm thinking... It can find these gaps and highlight them. And at the click of a button, it can remove them or shorten them all down. And that works really, really well to help keep the podcast flowing and to keep it moving. Only what I'd been doing was constructing the podcast, putting the pieces together, putting the music in, working out all the timings, moving everything about so that you'd have the intro music stops at the right time. Then my voice comes in, uh, especially when I'm trying to do things like spacemen sound effects and things like that for the last couple of weeks I've listened back to the podcast once I've published it and everything is out of sync the music's in the wrong place things don't work and I it was driving me berserk trying to work out what what's happening what am I doing wrong until I read it's really simple part of the workflow for whatever reason the last thing I was doing after I'd done everything else to the episode was remembering that it has this tool where it can automatically find and shorten the gaps and I was hitting it and it was throwing the entire framework off because it was shortening the gaps, but it 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 wouldn't move the the audio tracks and the sound effects and the things I put in to match it. So I am not going to do it this week. There is an improvement. There is something that if I was spending the entire week on Twitter desperately trying to look for new people to listen to this, I, I wouldn't have learned. But I am no longer going to do that. So hopefully everything will sit where it should do in this episode. So I do want to thank you. Whether this is the first. Episode you've listened to, and if it is, I hope you found us through a recommendation or from someone talking about us. Or indeed, if you've listened before, if you subscribe, or if you listen to all the episodes, welcome back. Thank you. It really does mean a hell of a lot for you to be here. And absolutely, what I'm not trying to say about this donkey in the idol is that I take it for granted that you're here. I love having you. I love having people that I'm talking to, and I'm grateful that you get to spend this time with me. And I hope you enjoy it. I hope you find it amusing. I hope it fills a gap for you. I hope uh, whether you listen to me while you're doing other things, I listen to a lot of podcasts while I'm driving, or whether this is the sole entertainment, I hope you get what you want from it. I hope you understand what I'm trying to put into it. And I'd love to hear from you. So I am on social media, at IncrediblePod on Twitter or at adventures on Instagram, if you want to follow me, send me a message. I certainly am not too busy to respond to anyone sharing feedback, as indeed people have been doing this week, which is lovely. There's another another fable. It's a very quick one. It's called The Vixen and the Lioness. And there's a lioness, and she's got her cub, and she's so proud of him. And she uh, shows him off and walks around and walking with an absolute swagger about this wonderful lion cub she's got. And the vixen comes past he has got 12 little fox cubs. And she says to the lion, why are you so proud? You've only got one cub there. You know, we walk around like you've, you own the entire world and all you've got is one cub. Look, I've got 12. Isn't that better? And the lioness looks at her and says, yes, but your 12 are foxes and my one is a lion. Now, I'm not a mainstream kind of guy. I don't watch TV I've got particular tastes and interests, so stands to reason that I'm not going to make a mainstream podcast. Hopefully I can make something with a bit of universe appeal for most people. But there are some people who are tuned in who will absolutely get it. And those are the lions. Those are the lion cubs that I'm looking for. I'm talking to you, the quality listeners, the people that understand what we're trying to achieve. And whether that's just one of you, whether that's a handful of you, whether that's um, a few hundred of you, I think we've got at the moment. I'm really pleased to have you here. Thank you for indulging me through that In Pretty self-centered introduction there. (laughs) I'm really pleased to have you here. I'm going to lead you into the show now. A little bit of content warning here. One of the stories I tell deals with me vomiting, which I know some people really don't want to hear about. And I also talk about an experience with a, a class A drug. It's a pretty neutral experience, but I understand if you, particularly if you're listening with uh, younger listeners, then you might not want to hear about that. Then apologies, this episode probably is not for you. But other than that, no swearing, nothing that's going to make you feel uncomfortable. This is a safe <laughs> and enjoyable show. So without further ado, I am Cornelius, and you're listening to Uncredible Adventures. I want to talk to you about my first and, and indeed my last ever lads holiday that rite of passage going on holiday with all your mates with a group big group of boys who are all trying to outperform each other who looking for ways to get each other in trouble and um, not looking after each other at all and for, for one reason or another I had missed various opportunities in my life to do this right up until this was my mid-20s when finally the time was right and I could go on my first ever lads holiday it was to Ibiza in 2007 so the day before we were due to fly out I was actually at a wedding I was best man at a wedding which I absolutely loved I the, the best man speech I did the the absolute classics, all the jokes that you've heard of. Thank you for that warm hand on my entry. The groom, he's a wonderful guy. He'll, there's nothing he wouldn't do for me. He helps me with everything. He always helps me out. He's generous. He's kind. He's funny. He, the, the, nothing is ever too much for me. In fact, he even wrote this part of the speech for me. Brilliant one. The bride, doesn't. she looks like one in a million. And the groom, he looks like he was one in a raffle. Oh, I I could go on and on with these ladies and gentlemen, just before the wedding, there was nearly a disaster when a naked man ran into the church. But luckily, the ushers chased him and they managed to catch him by the organ. (laughs) It was a beautiful speech full of the most obvious jokes you've ever heard. It was also very emotional. Everyone was welling up. Even the cake was in tears. What a great experience. So we slept off the, the wedding reception next morning, plane to Ibiza, unaware at the time that someone at the wedding had had neurovirus, the, the, the d and bug, which had rapidly spread through a lot of the guests, me included. And the effects weren't happening yet, but that little bug was sitting there waiting for me. Plane out to Ibiza, just for, for anyone listening that doesn't know what Ibiza is. I'm thinking of uh, of the Americans who who might might not be aware. So, Ibiza is a tropical, sunny little island in the middle of Europe, and there's quite a lot of them. And they all have different specialities. Different islands, this is. They all have different specialities and things you go there for. And Ibiza is absolutely the home of house music, electronic dance music and super clubs and clubbing for that style of music yeah, really is where it lives and it has the it has a lot of huge clubs big the biggest some of the biggest clubs probably outside of las vegas are in ibiza it is a pure party island or, or at least it was back in 2007 and even in 2007 the the, the authorities and the, the government of ibiza were trying to to change that. They they didn't particularly like having hordes and hordes of rowdy, drug fueled tourists coming every summer and, and treating the, the island terribly, especially because the, the nature of this type of music and clubbing was that everything happened really, really late at night and the island was virtually abandoned through the day. So there were various plans in place to to try and change the the clientele and and remove this party atmosphere but it was and and i don't know how that went i'm honest i've not been back not really kept up with ibiza but back in 2007 was just the start of that but it's still very much the hedonistic party palace and and the other thing that might be interesting to to anyone if, if you're not aware of this particular some of the listeners from overseas is that when it comes to music or certainly back then when it came to music there's a bit of a north south divide in the UK so there are two sort of dance musics that you could listen to there's a, this is a gross simplification and, and apologies to anyone that is really into this and if I get this wrong but effectively you've got house music on one side and you've got garage music on the other side and generally speaking, the north of England, the north of England likes house music, which is what they specialise in in Ibiza. And the south of England preferred, or certainly preferred at the time, garage music. And me, myself, I wasn't particularly into either. and was totally unaware of this distinction. I only know that because I went out to Ibiza and learnt it and got educated on this holiday. It was a real eye-opener for me. The, the plane out to Ibiza is unlike anything You've, I, I've ever flown on before or since it is incredibly rowdy you've got a you've got a young holiday crowd who are about to go out to the party island um everyone is playing music on their phone everyone is up dancing i the 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 level of noise on the plane is just uh, even uh, i think we went out on a really early flight it was like a seven am flight but still there was just this buzz. And noise. The harried-looking air hostesses with the uh, beautiful manicured hair in their top knots, with some of it was like coming out. You could see the stress lines at the corners of their eyes. And I remember the, um, the captain kept doing no smoking announcements. Oh, felt like every five minutes he'd do a no smoking announcement. Presumably because there was such a high risk of people trying to smoke in the toilets and all sorts of things. So, yeah, really lively flight that gets you in there gets you in a feel for the for the wildness that's to come and what ibiza is going to be about when you arrive there and if you've ever been on a plane that when it lands everyone cheers imagine that on steroids that's what it's like landing on a plane on ibiza the whole place goes nuts people are shouting people are stamping their feet everyone's undoing their seatbelt and the captain saying keep your seatbelts on the no smoking signs going absolute chaos by that point I had started to feel a little bit off a little bit queasy I put it down to, to being on the plane maybe I thought I was a bit dehydrated potentially a bit hungover from the day before I was flown out with a couple of friends but I had a few more friends who had gone out they'd gone out a few days earlier they were gone through a different tour operator and on a slightly different schedule having a slightly ho- longer holiday than I did so they'd been out there for a couple of days desperately waiting for the rest of the crew to arrive sending us messages and really waiting for their holiday to arrive. So they were absolutely amped up. And by the time we we got the transfers and by the time I got shown to this, this basic but nice hotel where I had my own room, I really wasn't feeling well. It, it all started, both ends, D and V. Um, all I wanted to do at that point was to sleep and I managed to hold my friends off for... Most of the afternoon, right the way through till about midnight, I was sleeping in between bouts of having to, to use the toilet. And then about midnight, they all came and banged on my door. I thought I was in the clear. I thought I'd made it to midnight, where they'd all been out having pre-drinks and at a bar and things like that. But what I didn't realise is just how Ibiza works. And most of the clubs don't open till about two o'clock in the morning anyway. The sort of standard time you'd be in a club would be between... 2am and 6am so I was not safe at midnight but I wasn't feeling quite so bad it it, it slowed down slightly (laughs) and they were not taking no for an answer exactly the way that you expect a group of teenage lads they weren't teenage lads but we were acting like it to really care about my health and well being they just wanted me out and they they wanted me to stop being so antisocial and stop moaning come on we'll sort you out don't worry about it so I got dragged around a couple of bars, which I had to make use of the facilities. Uh, and someone actually did say, oh, look, we need to sort you out. You don't, you know, you're not well, everything's wrong. We'll find a doctor, we'll find a doctor. So everyone was absolutely drunk at this point, And we we're wandering around the streets. And eventually we found a pharmacy that was shut, but it had like a little hatch, a little hole in the wall. So a little round window where you could see the pharmacist. And it had the big green light up cross out the front spanish-speaking pharmacist none of us spoke spanish we came to the window and we <laughs> had the delight of trying to explain to this guy while all my mates were standing around laughing what was wrong with me through the only means that we could communicate which was sign language so i was having to mime vomiting having to mime diarrhea standing in the middle of the street with with loads of holidaymakers, loads of party people watching me do this, but sure enough, the guy went away, no problem. He sold me for not too much money. He sold me some drugs, uh, something to stop me feeling sick and something to stop me having the runs. I took them immediately. Um, he he had <laughs> he was sort of miming one, yep, and then pointed at his watch and saying four hours. Take one, take one. Didn't give me much other advice other than that, but I I took these tablets and and they, the the sickness one in particular, started to work really really quickly. I don't know what that, I don't know what that is. I wish I remember. It certainly wouldn't be that easy. I don't think to get hold of it in this country. But it it made me feel better almost immediately. So by by sort of two a.m., I actually started to feel all right. I hadn't hadn't been ill in a few hours. I started drinking, had had a couple of pints. Totally unwise, but. You're only young once, aren't you? You've got to be a little bit reckless. I still didn't know at that time that I had neurovirus. I I thought I had food poisoning or was hungover or something like that. So we decided to go to a club. And the first Ibiza club I ever went into, by pure luck, was one of the best clubs and one of the greatest nights. A club called Es Paradis. And the evening we went was an event they called the Fiesta del Agua. I don't speak good Spanish but I assume a rough translation would be it's the fiesta of water so huge giant club that you go into and this one was kitted out it had kind of an ancient Greek theme so it had lots of marble pillars and blue and white colors massive club with all sorts of people dancing more than than any club I've ever been to it was very very focused on the music as well and that's something you get in Ibiza where clubs in the UK are uh, a lot focused on people being drunk and chatting and there's a bit of dancing but there's lots of other things this was really, people were there to dance, there wasn't much socialising going on, people just wanted to listen to the music and I started to get I definitely got a taste for the music while I was over there and there's a huge dance floor surrounded by these marble columns these marble pillars and had a really really enjoyable evening i felt quite good there was great atmosphere in there really started to enjoy and understand the music and it's that that repetitive dance music that you can pick up quite quickly and you start to starts to feed through it it's a music that you can learn quite quickly and really really enjoyed it and then we discovered why it's called the fiesta del agua and this was quite remarkable So at about five o'clock in the morning or half past five, the the DJ booth, they started packing away. The, The DJ booth was sort of over the dance floor, leaning down into this huge dance floor area, and they started to pack away the decks. So the music carried on, but the DJ disappeared, and these guys came, and they packed up some of the decks and some of the speakers and closed everything down. All the way through, and then suddenly the music stopped. And for a few seconds, there was silence. And then the song Singing in the Rain started, which was totally, totally out of place with the thumping dance music, the four-by-four beats that had been playing all night. They started playing Singing in the Rain. And as the music started, the sprinkler system went on. And this ice-cold water, it's absolutely freezing cold, but this... Ice-cold water started coming down like rain, in a fine mist, and then getting heavier and heavier into a really heavy rain across the entire dance floor, and everyone started to get soaking wet. And everyone was going nuts. People were jumping around. People were singing. Everyone singing along to this music. It was the most fantastical moment. And slowly, slowly we realised that the water was not draining away. The The entire dance floor, the entire club, was filling up with water. First, it was sort of a half an inch puddle that you noticed everywhere. And it kept getting higher and higher until, at one point, it was, it was about waist level. And it was a fantastic experience to be inside a club. You're so hot. You've been dancing all night. And it just, and the club fills up with water. I'm so glad I experienced it. It was a little bit crazy because the water, like I said, it started to come up to about the waist and people were very, very drunk or on drugs or whatever they were. And there was also, there was lots of sort of bottles that people had put down, like like they do. Imagine any dance floor. I don't think there was much broken glass, but there were definitely bottles and that was all under the water. So it was a bit of a a minefield and you watch people lose their footing and go literally go completely under and come up (gasps) gasping for air people starting taking taking their clothes off and all sorts it it was it was the most fantastic party atmosphere and eventually the sprinklers go off and everyone's jumping and churning about and people are crowd surfing it's an incredible party atmosphere and then the final piece the roof of the club starts to slide back And you watch it as the roof of the club opens and you're effectively standing in a swimming pool now. And as the roof comes back, you see that the sun is coming up over Ibiza. It's six o'clock in the morning and the sunrise has started. And the first early rays come in and hit you. I felt absolutely amazing at that point. It was the most hedonistic, wonderful place I've ever been. Just at the peak of all that happening. My body remembered that I had neurovirus and before I could stop and take any precautions two or three pints of lager sprayed out of me, churning into this water. I've looked it up and it's 80,000 litres of water they pump into this club but I spewed (laughs) hard all over the crowd that were cramped in beside me all into this water i absolutely ruined the moment not just myself but for several thousand people who up until that point were having an incredibly hedonistic experience anyway i'm gonna move on no one likes to hear a a, a puke story i remembered that story i was listening to richard herring interviewing james acaster one of his old podcasts. Interviews, and he asked a question about what's the worst time you've been sick, and that triggered that memory in my brain that became this entire episode. But, yeah, incredible feeling that is. And then the club opens out at 6 a.m. They throw you out, and the sun is coming up. There's another club opposite, and you have all the soaking wet people coming out of Es Esparadise and all the hot and worked up people coming out of Eden, and everyone walks in a huge human line down to the sea, and into the sea and people were floating glow sticks out. I can, I can sort of understand why the authorities and the locals perhaps don't like it. But it was a, an incredible thing to witness. And that was the end of my first night in Ibiza. At the realisation that what I've been missing all these years that I've never been on a lad's holiday. It's a funny place out there. It, it really comes alive at night. So there's a bar. We We went to a bar most evenings called Cafe Mambo that's on the beach. And it. It plays music and there's a real celebration of the sun going down. It's almost like the the culture there. Certainly the clubbing culture there is all about the the, the clubs and the nightlife. So people gather on the beach to watch the sun go down to this wonderful music and then the moment the sun dips below the horizon and it's dark, the the bar changes the music to more up tempo clubby things and everyone starts cheering. It's it's one of these great moments. But it's got its problems as well or certainly did back then you walk around and you get accosted by these street sellers and um, everywhere trying to sell you anything from drugs to to fake watches to you name it you, you can't take one step without and there's also a lot of i assume they're prostitutes although I'm not sure i think it's i think it's a hundred percent scam so there's a lot of ladies that when you're walking around with your group of friends if you've not got your wits about them if you get separated from the group you'll find a lady will slip her arm through yours and she'll be talking to they're trying to drag drag you off don't know what happens if you go with them thankfully I didn't none of my friends did but I'm pretty sure nothing and there's also there's a lot of lot of people out there working to earn a buck you know so many holiday makers with cash in their pocket attracts a lot of people and we got taken in by really clever scam. So obvious, but we we were out one one evening, and a a beautiful young girl in a bikini came up to us, and she was with a guy who had a, a fancy camera, and she said, "Oh, guys, hi, hi, hi! Let me take your photo. Let me take your photo for you know we're we're in Ibiza, we're we're recovering we're things. I can't remember what she said. You know, we're the Ibiza Photo Company or something. Please come on, let's take a photo." And she she sort of. You realised that you could get a the, the guy would take a photo and she'd do something that she'd she'd kiss you on the cheek or, you know, she'd let you put your arm around her or something like that. That you could. Oh, it's brilliant. I'm going to have a picture here of me in Ibiza with a beautiful girl in a bikini and she's kissing me on the cheek. So we all lined. Of course, we did. We all lined up to have our photos taken with her. And then she said, oh, guys, look for for 20 euros, um you can have the photo. Uh, we'll, we'll post it to you. Bargain, like absolutely much. So we, we all dutifully, she had a pad of paper. So we all wrote our names and address on the paper, and they did make a little bit of a show of, of pretending to write down what the photo number was. So we got it. I waited for months and months for that photo to arrive. I was so excited to to <laughs> to get this photo that I'd paid twenty euros for. Well, of course, it didn't arrive. It was never going to. This shows how how naive I am. I think. So there is a big big drug culture on the island that, that's linked to the music and links to the club. And I wanted to, I've never, I've never really been into drugs in my life. I'd not tried much. I was in my mid-twenties. I managed to avoid almost everything completely my entire life. And I was out in Ibiza and I had such a wonderful time and you know, the experience in Esparadise, apart from me muddying the waters for everyone, had been so great that I, I wanted to know what this was about I got it into my head that I wanted to try and take an ecstasy tablet we didn't know where to get one you know I certainly didn't want to try and buy one from these guys that stop you in the street they it just seemed like a terribly bad idea but there'd been a bar that before we'd arrived some of my friends had been in there and it had English Waiters, and they got chatting to some of them, and and, and apparently one of them said, like, "If you want to get hold of anything, I can help you out." So I said, "Oh, I know where to go." Most of my most of my friends didn't want to join me. I was on my own in that. I got a particularly wholesome group of friends. You, you might be thinking, or you might be shocked at the story at all. I don't know. Somewhere in the middle, perhaps. So they took me to this pub, and with all the the sort of grace and decorum that you'd expect, they walked up to the. We walked up to this guy that. Was working in there as a serving the tables, and we said oh, we want to buy some drugs, <laughs> and he said, "Well, okay, guys, guys, come on, play it cool." A bit. He said, "Sit down, order, you know, order a drink." My boss is going to kill you at least buy a drink, so we were forced to sit down and order a few bottles of beer. And he said, "Right, okay, yeah, I can, I can help you out. I know a guy. What do you want to buy?" And everyone looked at me, and I said, "Oh, I want to, I want to buy, I want to buy an ecstasy tablet." I said okay yeah we can do that how how many and I said one please <laughs> and he laughed at me <laughs> and he said he said mate he said oh, honestly someone's not going to come here to sell you one tablet and I said oh okay how many do I need to buy he said well I don't know like 10 oh how much are they they were four euros each or something. I said 40 euros so I said okay Yes, please, I'd like 10. He said, all right, I'll go and speak to the guy and he would be here. And then he, he came back a little while later and he said, right, if you go out the back, there's three toilets, you need to go into the one right at the end and there's a toilet brush in there and you need to lift up the toilet brush holder and underneath you need to put your 40 euros and then come back out here and wait until I tell you. And so I went to this toilet with my heart was racing. I felt like this was this was the most illegal thing that I think I'd ever done in my life at that point I was absolutely convinced at any moment the FBI were going to kick down the door and drag me off in cuffs and my mum would never see me again but I put my foot put my 40 euros under the toilet brush came back out sat at the table with ants in my pants panicking about what could happen no one else went out of the door. We could see the door. No one else went out there. There must have been a back door. And eventually the guy came back and said, OK, you can go back out there again. And I went out and almost in slow motion picked up this toilet brush. And there it was, a little plastic bag with a, a few tablets in, which I didn't even look at. I stuffed them straight in my pocket and marched out there as fast so as I could, absolutely sure that I was going to, as part of a sting operation. And that night we went to a club and I did take one. And I'm going to try and describe my experience, which, which was overwhelmingly positive. So, I took this tablet and none of my friends did, but after about an hour, perhaps, of taking it, I just started to have the most, the most wonderful feeling of positivity. Like it, it became I realised it became impossible for me to worry about anything. I could I could think of some of the worst my worst fears or things I was worried about and they just didn't seem to matter. I just was happy, I had a, a huge sense of empathy. And this is of course, this is all the the drugs working in your in your brain. And I had this sort of it was kind of almost buzzing physical feeling in my in my joints and in my muscles that made it feel so good to dance. We went into this club and I, I think I stood in one spot and just danced, just danced, dance, danced like I'd never danced before. I did feel incredibly thirsty, really thirsty. And Luckily, it was one of the clubs in town where you could get, because a bottle of water out there, 25 euros, forget it. But this was a club where you could get out, you could go into town and they had little mini-marts. and I, I bought a few litres of water and, and drunk them and I danced and they played in this club they're playing all sorts of house music and they played a house remix of Queen Don't Stop Me Now and there's a line in that song that says and the sort of DJ scratched it so he just played and played that feeling and and in that moment I kind of really I felt like I got it I just was happy I was energised felt Good. There was just kind of a warmth around me. That was a great experience. And in dancing that club for a long time, met a few people. I remember coming out and a girl dressed as a bumblebee asked me if I wanted to go on a boat cruise. So they have party boats that go out at six o'clock in the morning when the clubs are shut. I said Do you want to come out, but by that point I was um exhausted. You know, I'd been it, 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 expended so much energy, and I was. Well, on the come down I guess it was went back to my hotel room slept wonderfully woke up the next morning felt absolutely fine unlike alcohol or anything like that had absolutely no hangover there were no negative effects at all I thought this was perfect and that was yeah that was that was my experience as it comes and I did later in the holiday on the the, the last night of the holiday we went to another club, and I thought, "I want that again and i'd bought these ten tablets, which i 'd already flushed five of them down the toilet because I was so scared of having them on my person but i had I had these four left, so I did take another one in another club, and whether it was whether I'd depleted my serotonin, whatever it barely had an effect. It was mildly there, but I could absolutely. See, luckily, I didn't have any of the others with me because it felt like I needed to take about three more, and I could, in that moment, immediately feel that I was chasing after what I'd experienced once that first time. Never have tried them since then, didn't wasn't particularly good, they didn't do much for me that second time. And I'm quite happy to leave it there as a kind of once in a lifetime experience. Now, I I know that, that there's there's various people experimenting with ecstasy at the moment. I mean, I'm talking about scientists. Uh, there's a lot of people ex- experimenting on themselves, but scientists experiment with MDMA for use in therapy for this, this bit that I talked about where it just makes it... You can think of your hardest memories or the saddest things you can, and there's no emotion attached, or certainly no negative emotion. You just feel happy and fine. So I can see that's a great way to work through some of your problems things you can't face in a in a really unemotionally charged state but yeah I I enjoyed the experience I think it's best as a one-off I haven't tried to chase that feeling since and and it worked quite well for me that second night realizing look it was it was transitory that was a first-time thing Um, you you want to throw your life away chasing this for the chasing that high forevermore and the, the flip side was where we flew home and I remember got we got home and I felt for a couple of days the saddest I've ever been in my life. Just an overwhelming grief that my holiday was over, that I was back to my real life and some of it was... The, the the natural feeling you get that your holiday is over but some of that was the result of I guess the happiness that I'd borrowed for that one night That I was in a pit of despair luckily it only lasted for a couple of days but that was very real and very very scary I appreciate that's not a not a very funny story but one nonetheless one I wanted to, to share and, and something that, that shaped me and I think was worth talking about and unbelievably that is it for this week's podcast i've got a really special one planned for next week it's going to be a two-parter i'm going to split it into two parts it's too big to tackle on its own but um hang on for that one if you are listening through in the future and and all of the 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 next episode is out in front of you you could go straight onto that and now you're lucky people anyone else you'll have to wait until next week i publish on a saturday morning so it'll be available next saturday i hope you've enjoyed this one thank you so much for joining me on this incredible adventure thank you for being part of the family part and i hope i've entertained you i hope you've enjoyed it you can find me i'm cornelius you can find me at uncredible pod on twitter or at uncredible adventures on instagram or we've got a uncredible adventures facebook page or you can email me hello at uncredible i'd love to hear from you please, wherever you are, hit the subscribe button so that you get notified when new episodes come out. Be brilliant if you left me a rating or a review, wherever you do. But even more importantly, if you could recommend the podcast to someone, anyone, the person... uh, not lots of people but one person the person you think would appreciate the person that you think would enjoy it the person that has a a little incredible adventure shaped hole in their life at the moment that we could just make one day a week one hour a week just a little bit better for them then i'd love you to recommend the podcast and let's bring them in but until next time i am cornelius this is uncredible adventures